This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Are millions of Americans heading toward a retirement time bomb with major shortfalls in the funds they need to pay their bills? One expert says it will be a crisis situation. Some people will find themselves disappointed with their situation in retirement. We want to make changes within the 401k system that will improve the ability of 401ks to meet people's retirement needs. Then, how good are you at math? The answer might surprise you. And in today's world, math skills are more important than ever. Education and science and technology and math is important for people getting jobs. But we are also really interested in whether it's important to how people make decisions, to do things like balance their checkbook or do their taxes. Those two stories, and much more, are straight ahead on this week's InfoTrack. The show begins right after this timeout. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. For millions of Americans, the golden years of retirement will be anything but golden. Our next guest says it's an impending crisis. He's Andrew Eschtruth, Associate Director for External Relations at the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. And he's co-author of Falling Short, The Coming Retirement Crisis and What to Do About It. Andrew, for most of our listeners, our grandparents and our parents had fairly comfortable retirements. What's going to be different about the baby boomers' retirement years? Well, that's a very important question. There has been a significant change in the retirement landscape since our parents and grandparents retired. And that change is systematically shifting more risk and responsibility for preparing for retirement to individuals and away from institutions like employers and government. In addition to that, there are also some structural changes that have happened in the economy that are also contributing to this. One is increasing the amount of money that people will need for retirement, and the other is reduced support from traditional sources of retirement income. So turning to the first set of changes first, we will need more money in retirement than previous generations because we are living longer, we have higher health care costs, and at least in today's environment and for the foreseeable future, we have very low interest rates, which mean that you would need a larger retirement nest egg to generate a given amount of income in retirement. Would you also say that perhaps people's standards have changed, that they don't want to live in a humble situation, they want to spend some money and have fun? Well, the focus that we have is on whether people are able to maintain their pre-retirement standard of living. Got it. There is a connection to what you were talking about, but we do use that same yardstick for both previous generations and for current generations. We think that most people want to be able to maintain the same standard of living that they've had before. And so that would be the same for current generations as it was for prior generations. But as you point out, current generations are used to a higher material standard of living than their parents' or grandparents' generation. And some of the traditional means of support in retirement have faded away, such as pension plans at many, many companies, and also there are worries about Social Security as well. Both excellent points, and this is the development that is affecting where we get our income from in retirement. On the pension question, as you point out, traditional pensions in the private sector have all but disappeared. There are some people still who have legacy coverage from a plan 
but it's very unusual to have a new worker coming into a private company today, a new young worker, and be eligible for a traditional pension plan. That's becoming increasingly rare in the private sector. In its place, we have, of course, the 401k system, which is an example of how risk is shifted from employers to individuals. Because under 401ks, individuals essentially bear all the risks. They have to save for their own retirement. They have to invest the money. They have to figure out what to do at retirement with that money in order to make sure that the income lasts them throughout their retirement. And these are difficult choices for many people and choices that in the past weren't relevant because employers were providing people with a pension check at retirement. With respect to Social Security, the program does face a long-term financing imbalance. In addition, under current law, Social Security benefits are scheduled to replace a lower percentage of our earnings than they did for our parents' generation. And there are a couple different reasons for that. One is that the full benefits retirement age in Social Security has been gradually increasing from the traditional age of 65. It's currently 66, and it will be going up to 67 for anyone born in 1960 or later. And what it means when the full benefits retirement age goes up, it means that at any age you claim, you'll end up getting a smaller benefit than you would have under the previous rules. Another reason that Social Security's support is under pressure is that Medicare costs are typically deducted directly from your Social Security check. And those costs have been rising as a percentage of that check over time, and they're expected to continue to rise. So the money that you're actually going to see after those Medicare deductions is shrinking. The third factor is that an increasing percentage of households will be subject to income taxation on a portion of their Social Security benefits. So there are several forces that are affecting Social Security, and this is not factoring in whatever changes might be made to put the program on a sound long-term financial footing. Our guest on InfoTrack is Andrew Eshtruth, who is Associate Director for External Relations at the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College, and he's co-author of Falling Shorts, The Coming Retirement Crisis and What to Do About It. Andrew, it seems like all of this could be a political time bomb for our country. Seniors are very much active in terms of voting It's a pretty significant political cloud in that group. What do you think might happen if there's sort of a backlash when these people realize their retirements are really not going to be very good ones? Well, we are proposing solutions that hopefully will head off the need for any backlash. It is a good point. Some people will find themselves disappointed with their situation in retirement. And we're hoping that the number of people who end up in that situation is relatively small. I assume that that will generate some sort of wake-up call on the part of the people just behind them, a little bit younger, who will say, I don't want to end up in that situation. Right. And so from a political standpoint, you do correctly point out that the experience of people, bad experiences that some people might have, could generate support for changes. We think the sooner those changes are made, the better. And there are unfortunately no simple solutions. Let's talk about the solutions that you suggest, because I think you have some good ones here. First of all, we would take the 401k system and make it bigger and better and stronger than it is today. Today, the typical household with a 401k approaching retirement has about $111,000 in combined 401k and IRA assets. 
That amount might sound like a lot to some people, but it will generate only a modest amount of income in retirement to supplement your Social Security benefit. So we want to make changes within the 401k system that will improve the ability of 401ks to meet people's retirement needs. And the main idea we have there is to build on the successful model of automatic enrollment policies that some companies have adopted already. And essentially what these policies do is they would automatically put a worker in the 401k plan unless the worker chooses to opt out. And they would automatically increase the savings rate, the amount of salary that the individual is putting into the plan over time until you get to a certain specified level. So it would make sure that people had sufficient saving rates and that they were, of course, participating in the plan on a regular basis. So these policies still, as I said, allow individuals the choice to opt out or to make any changes if they don't like the contribution rate that they are defaulted into. They could change it to a higher level or a lower level or not participate at all. But it does give them a nudge in the right direction. One of the other things you suggest is the use of home equity in retirement, which apparently not very many people are doing. One of the issues that came up when we looked at how much money people have for retirement, as I pointed out, their financial assets are relatively modest for most households. Not everybody, but most households have relatively modest savings in 401ks or IRAs. And we thought, well, where else do people actually have assets if they needed to turn to them? A lot of people have significant assets built up in their house. Many people, by the time they enter retirement, are homeowners have paid off their mortgage. And that allows them the flexibility, if they so choose, to tap that home equity to help support their spending in retirement. And our thought was that they could actually tap their home equity in a way to help them meet their day-to-day spending needs, rather than sitting on their house and holding it for a catastrophic event, for example, a health emergency or someone's entry into a nursing home, that type of thing. Typically, people do hold their homes in reserve, and that's perfectly understandable or they want to have them available to pass on to the next generation, which is also a perfectly understandable motive. Our concern, though, is that people will just not have enough from their financial assets and Social Security to have a reasonable retirement. And so in that sense, it is worth looking at. It's worth considering tapping your home equity. And that can be done either by selling and moving to a less expensive home, which unlocks some of that equity directly, but also reduces your utility and other home maintenance expenses. People are living longer and seem healthier than in past years at older ages. Why not just delay retirement? That's an excellent solution, and it's one that we underscore in the book as a great idea for those who are able to work longer. Working longer has tremendous benefits. It increases the size of your monthly Social Security check by a lot. For example, if you claim at age 70 instead of age 62, which is Social Security's earliest claiming age, your monthly benefit will go up by 76%. Wow, that's That's pretty good. That's quite a large increase, and this is with a form of income, Social Security, that's an inflation-adjusted annuity. So it's an income stream that once you retire, lasts the rest of your life and is inflation-adjusted. That's hard to replicate in the private sector. The other benefit you get from working longer is you have more time to build up your financial assets. And of course, the final reason is that by shortening the period over which you have to spread your nest egg, you don't need as large a nest egg in the first place. 
Well, there are a lot of good ideas we've talked about here, Andrew, and it's all summed up in your book, which is titled Falling Shorts, The Coming Retirement Crisis and What to Do About It. Andrew, we want to thank you so much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you so much. Next, mathematics can be a big plus when it comes to career and decision-making. Stay tuned as we add it all up and give you the final answer. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. 